So we're going to read out of Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And if you're new, we read the Word of God together standing up. Uh, We stand up as a way of expressing honor towards the Word of God. So please stand. And we, we say it out loud because there's something significant about hearing the Word of God, not only out of my lips, but out of your lips and out of your neighbor's lips. I mean, this is the most important thing that we do is hearing and speaking the word of God and listening to the word of God and allowing it to change us. So we're going to read out of Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing beyond your people. Let's pray. God, we come to you with our junk. We come to you with our pain, with our sorrow, with our bitterness, with our anger, with our confusion. We come to you today. We come to your word, bringing these things to you because you, you invite us to come. And God, I pray that for each person in here who comes with baggage, that we would be able to leave it at the throne of grace and receive the grace that comes when we recognize that you are God and you are God who saves. Take us, I pray, from sorrow to a recognition and appreciation and experience of your salvation. I pray this now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. So the Psalms were written, I mean, this was really the hymnal for the Old Testament people of God. It was the prayer book for the people of God. And we see that, that David writes this Psalm in, in a specific situation. Now, it applies to us generally because that's how the Psalms work. God uses these experiences that, that David and, and other writers of, of the Psalms had, but he uses them to inform our understanding of how we ought to approach God. And so I just wanted to take a moment and consider, if you look at uh, the part where it says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, that is actually part of scripture. You know, sometimes if you read in your Bible and you see other headings like um, God's redeeming grace or, you know, Romans 8, uh, no condemnation in Christ, those are headings that have been added by commentators. But the, these headings that we see in, in Psalm chapter, in the Psalms, where it says, you know, of Asaph or of David, you know, um, some, this kind of musical style, these, those are actually in Scripture. So this is the Word of God. And so God is telling us that this is a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so, as w- by way of context, I just want to let you know that King David was a king. He was the second king of Israel, right? You had 
you had Saul, the first king. He, he was mighty and strong and tall and handsome. And, and according to people, he looked like a king. But unfortunately, he didn't have the heart or the character of a king. And so he, he made some mistakes. He dis, not just mistakes, he disobeyed God. And God chose another king, King David. Now, David was a, a, a man after God's own heart, it says. And yet, at the same time, he, he fails horribly. And he, he commits adultery with Bathsheba who is the wife of one of his mighty men. And so because of that sin, his, his life goes into a, a whirlwind. Turmoil, tumult, all of it gets mixed in, and there's, there's struggling in his family, there's discord, because he's invited sin into his life. Family troubles ensue. And this story, you can read it, it starts in 2 Samuel uh, the, the account of Bathsheba and David starts in 2 Samuel 11, and really it just continues from then on. You see Bathsheba and David and their sin, and then you see the results of it all the, really, the way through to, um, I think, chapter 17 or 18 of 2 Samuel. But we see that one of the family troubles that he has is that he has several sons, one of whom is named Absalom, and because of some some things that happened in the family and, and David's inaction, Absalom is angry and he wants to take over the throne. And so we see in 2 Samuel 15, <clears throat> starting in 15 and going on to chapter 19, he leads a rebellion against David the king. He begins to, to tell people, hey, don't go to the king, you know, he's busy, come to me and talk to me. And he, he engenders a lot of support kind of in this underhanded way so that people begin to go to him rather than David. David gets wind of it, and he, in order to prevent a huge all-out civil war, he flees Jerusalem. So rather than just stand his ground, he takes his men and, and flees Jerusalem. Now, the, the story doesn't end there well, but, but he flees. And this psalm of lament, a prayer of God's help in the midst of trouble, this is one that he prays in that situation. Absalom is after him. He wants to kill him. Absalom wants to kill David, too many pronouns. And, and we see that David writes this. And he moves through his, his interaction with God in three stages. And I'll, I'll put them in these, these, starting with the letter C, because that's, that makes it godly. Um, he goes from complaint in verses 1 and 2 to a confession of faith in verses 3 through 6. And then finally, a call for God to act in verses 7 and 8. A complaint, confession of faith, and a call for God to act. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Now we see that David goes to God and, and he doesn't begin, you know, I don't know if you've ever learned the acrostics, you know, adoration. There's, there's an acrostic for prayer, acts. I'm not saying it's a bad one. It's great. It's, it's I think, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I, I just dug that out of the depths because I don't use, <laughs> uh, I learned that in VBS one, one year as a, as a kid. But, but it starts with this idea of you go to God first with adoration. And that's good because you want to set your soul up right. But here we see David and he says, God, I'm bleeding out. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. He is an open wound. And he's going to God and saying, God, I am I'm struggling. I'm having a tough time. He's in pain. I mean, imagine the kind of pain that David finds himself in. He has made a horrible, a horrible decision by, by 
his relationship with Bathsheba, and because of that, he has seen his children. This has gone on for years enough that the children have grown up, and his son is old enough to, to rebel. This is not like a one, two, three, we read it in three chapters, and therefore it happened in three minutes. No, no, no. This has happened over time, and sin has matured, and, and the consequences of sin, of sin have matured, and he's been watching this, and so his heart is in, in turmoil as he sees that there are lives in the balance, and, and one of those lives is his son, one of the lives is, is, is his life, and and. He is struggling, and he goes, and he says, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? And I just want to stop here and let you know that sometimes life is not great. I want to give you permission to say to God, I'm not asking you to go tell everyone in the world, don't get on Facebook, don't get on Twitter or TikTok and complain about the world, but you can go to God, and you can tell him, how you feel when you don't feel happy. And in fact, he invites it. Nowhere in this psalm do we see God punish David for what he says. We don't see God saying, you know, sometimes scripture will interpret scripture and you'll read a section and it'll say, so-and-so did such and that was bad, <laughs> you know. Uh, but here we, we just get the psalm. And there's a sense that God is saying, yes, this is, this is appropriate. And in his situation, he's not, he's not necessarily maligning God. He's just looking at, him, at his circumstances saying, oh, man, there's a lot of tough things going on. There are a lot of problems going on. He brings his complaint to God. He says he, he has many enemies in verse 1. And more are rising up. And then in verse 2, he says, and they're, they're saying, God, either he will not or he cannot save me. Now, as enemies are doing bad things, they're calling it to question the salvation of God. And now you may be in a situation where you don't have your, your son or your son-in-law trying to take your, your job at, at whatever, <laughs> trying to take over your life, but, but you have circumstances that call into question the goodness and the, the sovereignty of God. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a, a relational issue. Maybe it's, it's just uh, life in this circumstance, and, and it calls into question the goodness of God. And you hear these thoughts, is God really good? Does he really care about you? Is he really going to save you? Can he really help you? And you feel like David, that there are many enemies around you. And they're saying God is not able or willing to save. Do you ever feel like God cannot or will not save you? That's a moment to pray like this. That's a moment to stop. And don't try to over-spiritualize it. You don't have to jump to, to God, you're good. and uh, You can. God is good. That's not inappropriate. But you can be honest and say, I am upset, God. I am, I am not the, the expert, and I am certainly just a practitioner so with that caveat, let me tell you, I don't know how many prayers I have prayed that are just, God, help me. Just, oh, God, help me. Because that's, that's all I can get out in the moment. And, and, and God's okay with that. He says, many are my foes, more are rising up, and many are saying, God, either cannot or will not save me. You see, family, faith is not acting like you don't have problems. Faith is not, it's not blind optimism. It's not positive thinking. 
It's not looking at something that's red and saying, that's blue. It's not looking at your circumstances and saying, everything's great when your spleen is falling out. That's not faith. That's foolishness. And sometimes part of the problem when the world looks at us is we are saying foolish things rather than being informed by the faith of God. We're saying to the world, there's no problems. God's going to help us. God will help. He is a God of salvation. But that doesn't mean there aren't problems. Jesus came to fix problems, to save people who are in problematic situations. And if we ignore our problematic situations, we negate the need for God's salvation. David is here and he says, I need help. It's a complaint. He runs to God. And family, let me reorient our complaining. Maybe you go and you think, well, God, he's a judge and we can't, we can't be, we can't express anger towards him. We can't express, and I'm not saying that you go to God and accuse him. But if one of my kids comes to me and says, Daddy, I, I skinned my knee, I'm not going to say, hey, you need, to, you need to not tell me about your problems. Go fix it and then come back when your knee isn't skinned. No, just come here, let me help you. And I'm not a good dad, but God's a great dad. He hears our complaint. Now, the thing about lament is that in, in almost all of this, the, the Psalms, except for, I think, one or two, they move from a complaint to a confession of faith. This is where, this is where the secret sauce is. So in verses 3 through 6, even though he does complain, he doesn't only complain. He moves on to express faith in God. It's good and appropriate to bring your complaint to God, but it's not good to only complain to God. As though God is just a a vacuous receiver of your problems, but not able to help you. You certainly can vent to God, but after you've vented, it's time to listen to what he says. It's time to remind yourself of what he says. So let's read it with me. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. He begins by saying, but O Lord, and that's an emphatic O Lord. He's not just saying, but but God is. No, he's saying, O Lord, you, God, you, Lord. And he uses the word Lord, Yahweh. This is the covenant name, and I've talked about it a bunch, but you need to hear this. He uses the name that God gives for his people to relate to him as their God. He gives the name that that God gave for his people to relate to him as the one who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, ever faithful and uh, covenant keeping with the people with whom he's made covenant. He's made an agreement with these people. He made an agreement with the Israelites and he said, I am going to be your God. And he says, God, the one who said he was going to be my God, that's the one I'm talking to. Oh, Lord. And this is akin to us saying, our Father. In the New Testament, the idea of a covenant-keeping God is shifted into an even more intimate idea of a loving Father. An individual loving Father. And Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Start this way. Our Father. Our Father. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. 
my glory and the lifter of my head. When David is pressed, he looks to God and he remembers who God is. You are a shield about me. You're my, my protection, the one who protects and keeps me, the one who takes the, the blows for me. A shield doesn't just protect. It also stands between the attack and the one attacked. Right? This is why this is such a powerful picture. We don't realize it. But Jesus is a shield to us because he dies on the cross when I should have died. He takes the nails when I should have taken the nails. He gets the whip when I should have gotten the whip. He gets the death and the wrath of God when I should have gotten the death and the wrath of God. You are a shield about me. My glory. David says, you are, the, you are what makes me honorable. You are what makes me glorious. Family, I love you. You're amazing. Apart from Christ, we are not glorious. We are sinners. And, and we're very, we can be comfortable with that idea and, and kind of friendly with that idea as though that's not a bad thing. You know, we're all sinners. Yes, and that's a problem. <laughs> but God makes us glorious. And God promises through Jesus Christ not only that he will justify us, make us right before him, not only that he will sanctify us, change our character and make us holy before him, but he will glorify us, make us like Christ. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. Family, you can go to your, your loving father. You can go to Yahweh Lord. You can go to your covenant king and say, I have problems and trust that he is going to lift your head. When David, when David left uh, Jerusalem, it says that he was bowed and barefoot. Right? He left like this. But he says, God, you're the lifter of my head. He remembers who God is. He doesn't just do that. He remembers what God does. Verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. This word, for the Lord sustained me, it's a ground for both the previous statement and the the following statement. I lay down and slept. Why, David? Why could you lay down and sleep? Why could you do that when there's so many things going on? Imagine being in his situation again. There are enemies everywhere. You're not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm sharpening my sword and praying. Or, or, I don't know, thinking, worrying, doing, wringing my hands. But no, he says, I lay down and slept. What else does he say? I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. I don't know if you've seen many thousands of people. I know one thing. I've seen, I've seen a defensive line. Not excited about standing in front of them. Can't imagine what it'd be like to stand in front of many thousands of people with swords who are not just interested in tackling me, but cutting off my head. And he says, I'll not be afraid of them who set themselves against me. Why? Because the Lord sustained me. He remembers what God does. The Bible, and I forgot my Bible, so the Bible, it's on here too, so obviously I'm reading it. The Bible is given to us, not just to inform us, but to remind us. The Old Testament Don't throw the Old Testament out. The Old Testament is like so much of God saying, remember that I save. Remember that I save. Adam and Eve, remember that I save. Cain, Abel, and Seth, remember that I save. Noah, remember that I save. David, remember that I save. Judges, remember that I save. Prophets, come back, Israel, and remember that I save. He remembers that the Lord sustains his people. 
Family, God will sustain you. God does sustain you. My prayer and hope is that you have testimonies in your own life that you can look back to and say, God sustained me in that situation. He'll sustain me here. God sustained, I didn't die in that situation. God will, God will sustain me here. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I woke again. I wasn't dead. I woke again and the Lord sustained me. And I will not be afraid for the Lord sustained me. This was his confession of faith. God desires for you and I to be at rest with him. But the thing about God is he doesn't promise rest through tranquility. He doesn't promise rest by saying, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to turn the lights down. I'm going to get the kids, take them out of the house. I'm, I'm going to give you your favorite tea. You just, you just rest. No, you've got heavy metal in the background. You've got your kids screaming, you know, or, or your friends yelling, and, and, and there's craziness, and, and you've got pain, and, and you've got your boss, you know, you know, whatever, and you've got things happening, and it's in that moment that says, I, where, where God says, I'm inviting you into rest. But it's a rest that allows you to live and walk through those circumstances, not to be, not to be spared of those circumstances. Family, I, we have to embrace this because if we're going to be a people who just is happy with God and trusting God when things are going well, we're irrelevant to the world. Because the world is not tranquil. If our only, if our gospel message to them is, if, if your gospel message to your soul is, God saves me from things <clears throat> and not just through things, you don't have the gospel message. Jesus is our prime example of what God is willing to do for us. He, he saves us, yes. But he also takes us through what, what theologians call this, it's, it's this reverse, um, it's a dip, I guess you call it. And, and we start here, we put our faith in God, and, and unfortunately, we go through humiliation. Jesus came and it says that he humbled himself. He was humiliated to the point of death. And that's what God takes us through. Right? Paul talks about how we have to die to ourselves, and, and, he, and he says, you got to go through that in order to get to the exaltation, to the, to the glorification, to the experience of resurrection life. You can't have resurrection life if you're not dead. He has this confession of faith, and he invites us to rest. God invites us to rest, but we have to go through it with him. Not around it, not above it, not below it. Bunny foo-foo, which preposition should we use? Through. We have to go through. He's sovereign over our lives and he loves us. Finally, David boldly and appropriately petitions God. He calls for God to act. Arise, O Lord. And just, just to nerd out a little bit, if you, if you look at... Um, if you look at... Uh, Verse 1, it says, many are rising against me. And then you see this parallelism where he says, but you, you, O Lord, arise. You arise, O Lord. Same word. Arise, O Lord. My enemies are rising. You arise, God. Save me, O my God. There's no salvation for him and God. You know what? God, save me. Save me. 
And that's a bold request. In my Bible, it's got an exclamation point at the end. But you know what? God is happy for you to ask him to do what he's promised to do. He tells you, ask me. Ask me to do what I've said to do. You know, sometimes my, my kids will um, ask for something, and it, maybe it's in the evening, and I'll say, you know what, ask me tomorrow. And, and you know what they do the next day? They ask me. And, and what I try to do is I try to do what they ask me to. Because that's what a good father does. And God says, I will save you. I am Yahweh. I am, I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. If you'll be my people, I'll be your God. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, I need rest. Come. Would you come near to me, God? Yes. Arise and save me. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. That sounds real rough, and in the New Testament, we're kind of like, God, what's that about? <laughs> That's a little, these are human enemies. Don't, don't you want to love everyone? And, and, and what he's saying is, you take my enemies, and you shut their mouths, And you defang them. You shut their mouths of accusation and you take away their ability to bite. You strike them on the cheek and you break their teeth. God cares about you. God cares about you enough to deal with your enemies. You know, one of the things that we struggle with sometimes, I know I struggle with, is this idea that if I don't deal with my life, if I don't grasp onto um, my own salvation, if I don't try to fix my situation, if I don't try to argue for my right, then no one else will. But God says, no, let me handle that. Vengeance is the Lord. Vengeance is the Lord's. He, he deals with people in a godly and just way, and we don't need to stand in that way. So much of our, our, our struggles and, and challenges, I think, if you're anything like me, um, are because I want to do what's really God's job. And I'm unwilling to do what God calls me to do, which is to love people and, and be willing to give God room to do what God does in the timing that God wants to do it. In, in my pain, you know, the, the temptation is to say, God, I need you to do this now, do this now, do this now, do this now, do this now. And in that moment, I have stood in the place of God and said, I know better, God, about timing. I know better, God, about the means and the ways that, that, that you accomplish my will. But David says, you know, you, you handle this. You handle my enemies. And he even says further, verse 8, salvation belongs to who? Not David. Salvation belongs to my strong army. Salvation belongs to my ability to earn money. Salvation belongs to my ability to argue that I'm right in this conversation. Salvation belongs to um, my ability to watch Netflix and not feel anything. Salvation belongs to me. No, he says salvation belongs to, again, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, the one who's made promises, I will save, you just do your part. And then he says, your blessings be on your people. Now, we don't stay at complaint, but we start there. We move from there to confession, saying, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done, both in history and in my life. And then we go and we say, you know what, God? Salvation is from you. 
and, and in, in case we feel like this is not fair, this is exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. In his full humanity, we see Jesus where he's about to be betrayed. He, he knows, right? Have you ever gotten a shot and you're like, I know it's coming. I don't, I don't like this. I don't like this. He knew he was going to be beaten, spat upon, betrayed, crucified, stabbed. He was dead when he got stabbed, but, but he knew these things were happening. He knew they were going to happen. And so in the garden, he's, he's sweating blood because he's so upset that, that, that the stress is causing the, the, the capillaries on his skin to burst and, he's, and blood is coming out. And he's, he's saying, God, if, if there's any way for this to not happen this way, let me know. If there's any way for this to not happen this way, let me know. God, if there's any, Father, if there's any way for this to not happen, let me know. And he was familiar with the Psalms. On the cross, when he's being crucified, he says, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is word for word quoting of scripture. Psalm 22. Other places he quotes scripture continuously. He breathes the Psalms and he understands lament. And in the garden, he's praying and saying, God, I, I have this complaint. I, I am nervous about this, this plan. I don't, I don't want to do that. But he, but he stops and he says, but, but not my will, your will. And in that statement, he, he gives a confession of faith and a call for God to act. Not my will, but your will. God, make me capable of doing this. Family, God did that. Jesus did that so that we could do that. Not so that we could earn our salvation, but so that we could trust God through Christ in the same way as we come to him. You're in you're in the middle of it. I don't know your situation. You do. But I, I, I kind of feel like if you're being honest, we're, we're in the middle of it in some way, shape, or form. Some of us are more aware of it than others. And, and my encouragement to you from Scripture is don't run away from God. Don't run away from the one person who is waiting to hear your complaint, to help you as you as you make your confession of faith in him. And he's, he's ready to, like he's, he's got his jacket on, he's got his keys, and he's at the door. And, and he's waiting for you to pray that prayer, God, give me grace. And if you're in the middle of it and you've been praying and praying and praying, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep reminding yourself. Keep returning to your confession of faith. Absolutely, go to your complaint. You can complain to God, but don't stop there. Go to your confession of faith and go to your call to action and keep asking because God is faithful. And we have to believe that over against anything else. That's a, that's a presupposition that God is good and he is sovereign. Those are, those are things that we take for granted. We don't look for our circumstances to prove those things. We believe those things. And he will answer. Let's pray. Father God, help us to do this well. Lord, help us to pray well. Help us to be honest with you about our pain, to be honest about our our struggles, to be honest about 
our, our suffering. And at the same time, God, help us to, to rise up. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, faith would rise in our souls enough for us to remember. Not even to do, just to remember and remind ourselves of what you have done. God, we thank you that you have given us so many pictures in scripture of what you have done for your people, how you've been faithful to your people, how you are the Lord, Yahweh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful. I pray that you would minister to these people, people God. Minister to them in the midst of their pain, their, their frustration, their labors in, in prayer, their pursuit of you that seems fruitless. God, Meet them, I pray. Pour out your love by your spirit. We thank you, God, that your spirit is given to us so that we might experience your love and be able to call out to you as Abba Father, not just our Lord, but our Father. Help us, I pray, as we, as we pursue you honestly and we look to you for salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.